Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. What's going on? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, yeah. Yeah. What is time? I think we already <laughs> talked on the phone and, and said Happy New Year, but uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, this year, I don't know how you feel about New This I, New Year usually feels like a big thing, like a big event. And it should feel really big this year because, like, you know, the vaccine is on the way. Yeah. Blah, blah. But I but feel it's, like it's like delayed or something. Like I feel like it's not the new year because well, the the shit still sucks. No, <laughs> no human process, especially biological processes, are like, oh, the they invented this calendar, so let's uh, sync <laughs> to that. Yeah, yeah. So we we have a pandemic, and then whenever the the counter hits zero, it will stop. But I think the party is normally the biological release, right? And um, this year, less people would have partied. They would have been kind of alone. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the real party that everyone's waiting for, it's not even going to happen. Like Fauci's like, oh yeah, it's going to be gradual, but everyone wants, I think, a big release. Like, yeah, we've got to have a party, I, I, a pandemic party when it's over. Kind of and 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 then there's the the psychological effect that if if the vaccine has started, people think it's over. So then there's they're more relaxed about it, and then mm-hmm. numbers could increase and actually averse effects. So who knows? Yeah. So there's got to, yeah, I, here's what I'm suggesting is that the government's got to step in at some point and they're going to have to like create a new holiday called, you know, virus free day or something like that. And it's going to yeah. be a day where we reach like 20, you know, 0% of the population or zero cases or something. Uh, 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 except death day. And then that becomes oh, a holiday. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Of course. If uh, I could make some really uh, bad jokes about <laughs> Germans or something. <laughs> <laughs> No problem there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Russians will. That Russia's the new like enemy, so they'll come along yeah. and say, like, "Yeah, the Sputnik vi- vaccine actually was the virus." Exactly. No problem there. <laughs> we just injected all of you. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're gonna discuss this movie, Kajillionaire. Well, you know, yeah. So th- this this well, may be the, I, I wanted to talk about new year's resolutions because i kind of do believe in new year's resolutions because why not like a, a life is very hard to comprehend and then if if the year helps and then the same way you can say you know in the weekend i want to mow the lawn and during the week i want to work on it helps to to do stuff to to have a time unit so if the time unit of the year exists why not have a new year's resolution yeah, I often have like a, a word or a mantra. I was talking yeah. to my sister, she chooses a single word every year. And and so my New Year's resolution was not to complain anymore. Mm. Oh yeah, you do complain a lot. <laughs> yeah. <Just kidding. laughs> and then, be, yeah. No, but, but I, I noticed that, uh, not to sound like an American life coach, but that complaints can manifest themselves and become reality just by repeating mm. them. But people love hearing you complain about American uh, food habits. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just like everyone loves hearing that. I love Doritos. Yeah, they're the best. <laughs> no, but but then um, once you start go- going thinking about like complaining is bad, and this is really self-serving. It's not that I want to make the world a better place. But just if I complain about New York being difficult, then New York is difficult. Mm. Sort of that mindset. So. Then, if we're critiquing movies, is that if we don't like a movie, is that a form of complaining or is it an analysis? Uh, uh, yeah. Are you spoiling? Spoiler alert! I told you this movie is a solid seven out of ten. <laughs> but the the New Year's resolution that I could touch on, relative to segueing into this movie, is like about a year ago. You know, we decided that we would reboot the podcast, and we rebooted around uh, reviewing movies um, as yeah. like a, a form well, of like. It- Maybe we can also go back a little bit that we stopped for a second. So we we started the podcast and then we stopped because I had a, it was difficult for me emotionally to do the podcast. I had this very self-conscious feeling about sharing opinions and that sharing opinions is kind of cheap. Like, like you look at the city of New York, you're like, oh, this is a dump. I could do way better. It's like, well, build your own city. It's not so easy. Well, no single person could build a city. No. Well, exactly. (laughs) But like... Me talking about movies or critiquing yeah. the art world or whatever, it's a lot harder to make interesting artworks than to go into a gallery and be like, this is all shit, you guys are fake. Yeah, and then so me as your friend, I said, whatever you need, Raphael. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I here know. for you. You're too nice, yeah. <laughs> and um, 
So we paused. And you weren't like, we built this together. We're going to make it. It was actually, yeah, we were doing pretty well. I will say, if you look back at the statistics, we've never quite reached yeah. that zenith again. And people do still listen to the old pot. Uh, I was just looking actually at our stats. Um, yeah. And people still listen to a lot of the old episodes. In well, fact, that's, like that's mostly what people listen to. Yeah. No one's listening but to I, this. <laughs> I, I saw this as an educational platform because we both do talks and the mm. uh, talks are not so interesting when they're recorded to experience later. Yeah. And I thought if we join forces and do talks online that are archived and, and the podcast is inherently an archival format, then you have this database, which is like um, different topics. And what's it like? To, like 40 years later, someone can go back to this historically and be like, what was it like to be a media artist around 2019? And, and you know what? Uh, I got lazy this year. I didn't do the show notes, but like, we used to. I used to do these exquisite show notes for the podcast, yeah. and they were. I, a lot of people have said they were really helpful. So I think definitely well, with a the resolution movies, to bring maybe it back. less so. Like yeah. maybe with the movies it was less relevant because the movie reviews. Uh, I I just figured we talked also about starting an alternative art school. Yep. Because yep. art schools are so ridiculously expensive, and the the chances that you make your money back in throughout your whole life are pretty slim. Pretty much non-existent, so, yeah. <laughs> so we thought if we could do an art school for a tenth of the price or even 5% of the price, what could we offer? But then we talked about, it's like, do we really want to be on Zoom all day? Because that's the reality of online schools. Well, so to be truly disruptive, like, you know, we wanted it to be 10x as like... Yeah, you know, yeah. So f- it has to be free and twice as valuable as art school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we got the first all part, that right? stuff, But I, I still think... When I look back at art school, a lot of the interesting moments for me that I remember were artist talks, inviting, the school would invite pretty interesting people to talk and they would show and tell. And this is only tell, no show, but I thought this could be helpful, especially for someone who can't afford to be in an expensive school. Well, there's a lot of show uh, through, I think we share a lot of examples and through the, you know, reviewing films, we're sharing some, and that's today's film as well. We're sharing... We're sharing works by quite often by actual artists that are in uh, the film world as well. Um, yeah, or referencing yeah. artists. Yeah, like like Robert Longo making Johnny Mnemonic and yeah, yeah, yeah. And today, Kajillionaire uh, Miranda July, well known um, in the art world, started out in the video art world. Um, for me, was a hero early on. Came out of like kind of the Portland indie film. When and video when was scene. that? She started, for me, I first was introduced to her work in the early 2000s, so about 20 years ago. Do you remember how you came across it? Yes, I do. She had a series of um, of videos that she had published on DVD at the time, I think. Um, but they were shown in an art class of mine. Um, or so it I, was a teacher who introduced you to her work? It was, Yeah, I think it... It, it might have been or it might have been a, f- a friend in art school that shared some of it, but she had these art tapes and a series of short videos that she did um, that were performative. She appeared in all of her own work. And at the time, obviously, I was exploring being in my own work. My girlfriend at the time as well was doing, you know, kind of similar stuff to what Miranda uh, was doing then, performing in satire or satirical works that were kind of quirky or explored self-expression and personal media. Um, was it the was it the type of work that uh, made you feel like making work yourself? Like that it it, it was. Uh, I always talk about when work is kind of DIY and comprehensible in terms of production. It it energizes you. It's like oh, I can participate. I can do something. Yeah, I was just talking as, to, as opposed to yeah. watching uh, a, a James Cameron film. Just prior to this call, this uh, this call, <laughs> I was on another call with a, a, a film director who makes like indie films, and he said the exact same thing, which is we were talking about aesthetics and accessibility and energy, and you know when it gets too polished, it it almost actually alienates an audience. And so he was talking about how he's always interested in, you know, we were both talking about sort of some failure or weakness in the aesthetic, and that being an act of that that energizes not only when you see it. Create it, but when you see it in others' work, it's well, an yeah. inspiration. I think that the the best example is George Lucas, who really started out wanting to make art films and being in art school. I think he was an anthropology major, but he also wanted to make art films, and he made really strange, uh, non-narrative, associative sort of visual poems. Mm. 
And then his thesis film was THX 1138. Amazing film. I think Robert Duvall. I mean, that's not bad for a thesis film as a student. I'd say it's like his best film, too. It's better than Star Wars. Yeah, and then he made American Graffiti, which was also an exploration of human nature. And after that, it just kind of stumbled into Star Wars and became basically defined the franchise movie era for the next 50 years or something. And and he basically defined entertainment. But talk about a movie that is so impressive that you feel helpless when you see it. But there's a lot of practical effects in the original Star Wars that were never... I think George Lucas fell off, you know, lost touch with who he was when he started exploring computer effects because he didn't understand... Uh, He didn't understand the medium anymore. But still, like, seeing Miranda July's first DIY projects is different than seeing even the, the... the first Star Wars, which wasn't so big budget, but it doesn't feel like, hey, yeah, sure, I could do that. I think in this film, though, um, and I don't know if you've seen her other films or experienced her sculpture or media works. Um, but I've seen the, that one, uh, Me and You and Everyone You Know. It. Right, a lot of people saw that or they saw The Future, yeah. one of those films. Um, she is, she's made a few. She makes them every, like, every few yeah. years. I, 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 I see her movies in the context of this whole group of people, which I would say, I think her partner is Mike Mills, so that's one person, and then there's Spike Jones and... Spike Jones is a close friend of hers, yeah. Yeah, and then Jeff McFetridge, but then also, um, what's the daughter Coppola that we watched the On the Rocks movie? Sofia Coppola. Sofia Coppola. I I think they all made music videos, and they're all friends, and uh, just like... They're the cool kids. Yeah, but the cool kids, but also the kids with a lot of self-pity and like uh, a lot of amateur psychology and people are vulnerable. Well, I will say you're absolutely right. Like the Divergent the Suicides, yeah. that kind of movie. Remember, they came out of an era of like emo as like a cultural trend. Yeah, and Michel so, Gondry. And, yeah. And the weird thing, what's, what's the name of the guy who made that mega book? Um not Jonathan Safran for but the other David Foster Wallace. Oh, right, I think yeah. he I think he is the the root of this uh, state of mind or this mood of mm-hmm. like we have all this abundance but we're still sad and we take pills and we're still sad and it and to me it's the opposite of uh, the Safdie brothers where they're like New York tough and like fuck yeah. you and right. uh, I think it's the uh, the exploration of self doubt as aesthetic, but it's also the the, it's also it it seems to me an extension of a an overprivileged life, and it's so privileged that and and this is coming off very harsh, I know, because maybe they were not privileged. I have no idea, but it feels like this thing where you grow up in paradise, and then there's a pee under your mattress, <laughs> and it hurts your back, like. Um, well, I don't. I, you know, I don't I'm know not talking specifically about this movie, but mm-hmm. uh, the the general sort of melancholy in this this group of people, and especially Sofia Coppola. Yeah. Uh, um, the the style of music, and then the nice sunshine, and then you have a beautiful actress who plays someone ugly. I think that's kind of offensive to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's someone with perfect bone structure and perfect skin, but then you dress them up in goofy clothes and I'm sorry, I'm awkward. It's like no, you're like so. One you're of talking the about Evan Rachel Wood. She plays old Dolio in the film. Yeah, but the the, the choice of of uh, still choosing someone who is probably, if you had to rank it with an algorithm, is like in the top zero zero one percentile of attractive human beings. And she played the android in Westworld, yeah, which is ironic. Kind of similar role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sort of awkward, but. So what I'm trying to say is that they come from the the land of beautiful people. The the maybe that's what I'm getting at. There's mm-hmm. like everyone they hang out with is interesting and doing cool stuff, and then they make movies about being sad, and it just comes off as. Yeah, but I think am is I getting I, anywhere? No, you am are. I because, but I, like my counter argument would be that Miranda July, if you hear her speak, actually talks about herself as like a Portland punk, and those two words might be like oxymoronic, but like. She came from the Portland scene, as she calls it, and she referred to refers to herself as like punk. And the only way you can reconcile that, because it doesn't seem to make any sense, is it, especially coming from New York, right? Um, would be that like 
they were punks because they were outsiders. And if you visit Portland, Portland doesn't quite know what to do with itself, right? Like it has yeah. no real, like the people yeah, that live I, there I do not cut. That, yeah, they I don't. That, it I was a lumber the, town, right? But it, it's not that you have to be from a broken home to talk about broken homes. That's mm-hmm. not it. But this, I'm trying to articulate it. And there's something about the sort of. But I think that we've uh, talked about this before in the form of outsider art. Um, but I would call this outsider cinema, and yeah, but that's the the part where I just disagree. Like, um, yeah, it it this does not. Fe- I don't know how to formulate it, but it ma- should we get the plot out or some of the like you know kind of some aesthetic sure. devices? So sure. the film is called Cajillionaire. <laughs> it is Miranda July's like third or fourth film, and she's got a lot of video works. She has a, a sculpture you know, kind of practice, a mixed media practice. She's been in the Whitney Biennial. She's been, I think, even at like, you know, Venice, uh, for the Venice Biennale. So she's she's presented her work at the highest echelons of contemporary art. She also makes films. Yeah, poor film, outsider. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, okay. But um, the film itself, Gajillionaire, is about um, a family who are a family of like kind of con artist grifters who just barely get by. They're kind of really bad con artists um evan rachel wood plays the daughter of robert and Teresa, played by richard jenkins and deborah winger and the dad is the dad from stepbrothers as well yeah yeah he's like it's quite a hollywood like cast actually for an indie style movie exactly that's where i'm getting at yeah and they so they're like they actually don't as a heist movie or a grifter movie they don't try and pull off some big heist in the movie um it turn, it's, it, yeah, it, it seems end, it's more about rejecting uh, It's about their relationship, yeah. yeah. And so it, it ends up being about um, Evan Rachel Wood's character, Old Dolio, and she's named after a homeless uh, guy that had won a lottery or failed to win a lottery or something like that, like some story of a homeless guy that they vaguely refer to in the film. And she meets uh, this other woman, um, Melanie, played by Gina Rodriguez, um, who befriends the parents and like wants to get in on becoming con artists because she's seen films like Ocean's Eleven and she's like aesthetically in love with this idea of being a con artist which by the way personally that's been like a lifelong dream of mine as well (laughs) and uh (laughs) I knew there was some good in you (laughs) yeah when I was a kid my like it was one of my top 10 uh career prospects um but anyway everyone loves a good con and so the movie ends up being not about a big con, but the con that has sort of been placed upon Old Dolio by her parents, that that family itself is a con, that like love is a con, and, and that it, what the only real thing is survival. It's actually not that different from, um, you know, movies like the Werner Herzog films that we were discussing in a previous episode recently, um, where... Old Dolio then learns from Melanie, this new person in their little fam- family triad, that, um, you know, hey, actually, like, love is a real thing. And, I, you know, there's a romance that ensues. I don't want to give away the whole film, but, like, so her and Old Dolio kind of, like, team up and then and fall in love. So, meanwhile, it's also rejection. So it's a coming-of-age story, a rejection of the parents and... Um, and and like leaving that behind and it but it's done within the constraint aesthetic constraints of a Miranda July film which is to say this is the part that I knew you would be displeased with but I think it's worth discussing the the aesthetic is intentionally obtuse um to the point where like you know Old Olio or Evan Rachel Wood plays a character that is so far-fetched and unbelievable as do the parents um that you know they come off as like over the top in in ways that are very awkward or difficult to watch. Well, yeah, it, it it's interesting because if you look back at Hollywood films from the fifties and they have Americans with the red makeup on their face playing Native Americans or white, or they have uh, Kirk Douglas playing Vincent Van Gogh who's way too athletic and and macho. Mm-hmm. And fifty years later, you're like that is not believable one bit. And I feel like this movie will also age as like, oh, yeah, these were the most attractive people in Hollywood trying to portray losers. Okay, but this is where I want to disagree a little bit, which is like, I knew you were going to go here. So if the films, if is, we've talked about a lot on the podcast about believability or reality, and is a film's only purpose to express 
some version of believable reality. No, no, no. I'm not right. saying that. Like, okay. if you make a Disney movie with a princess, you're not believing it, but like, okay. You believe in the uh, world somehow. Yeah, and and uh, I think uh, what's her name, Evan Rachel Wood. I think yeah. she could play a Disney princess easily. Like, well, because but here's the thing, like, yeah, so she plays an ugly character, right? And then they dress yeah. her down. And by the way, her voice, her low voice, apparently is her closer to her real voice. She had vocal training to be more of a Hollywood starlet yeah. um, for her other parts. So she 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 actually is a little plainer than she's presented in other films, but. There are other unbelievable aesthetic choices in the film, such as the family lives in a adjacent office. They live inside of an office space adjacent to a bubble factory that overproduces bubbles that seep into their into their um, their apartment yeah, or their office. And well, every day they yeah. have to clean up the bubbles. And it, obviously, it makes no sense that these bubbles like overtake this home once a it, day, right? It was it was crazy that the trailer gave away that much. Because the first 25 minutes of the movie, it's basically like, oh, I saw that in the trailer. So the, and so this movie reminded me of uh, Sorry to Bother You with, with these mm-hmm. surrealist camera elements. Yeah, that's similar. Yeah. And it, it has a Michel Gondry, Spike Jones practical effects kind of feel. But the, that's just for a brief moment. That but it, it doesn't hold like together a, is what you're saying. Well, it, it's like... Um, uh, they, yeah, it... it, it Maybe in another movie, it would have been throughout the whole film, and here it was just a little gag. A few touches. I mean, also the choreography. So in the opening sequence, which is also yeah, in the trailer. Yeah, that felt Michelle Gondry-esque. Where, you know, she's she's breaking into a post office to steal packages, um, and she does this choreography to avoid the cameras. Yeah. The choreography is clearly, like, not necessary. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe the thing that bothers me is this emphasis on childhood trauma, which is so much throughout the film. Mm. And I often feel like, well, you know, your parents try to do stuff, but the, they're also learning, so they're gonna, there's going to be some mistakes. And then this idea, oh, I never played catch with my dad, so I had a bad childhood. Uh, I prefer, that's why I liked Uncut Gems. Like, uh, he's clearly troubled, but they're not going to go back and be like, hey, Dad, you didn't say that, and that's why I'm like this now, and fuck you. And Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm thinking thinking out loud here. I think maybe it's a it's a pet peeve of mine that I'm just not interested in childhood trauma. Uh, like, because you had it's such, such a, a, a warm and loving childhood. Yeah, there's also <laughs> difficult parts, but like that whole mm-hmm. catcher in the rye thing is just like how many times do we have to talk about people being pissed at their parents and uh, everybody's phony? Well, the number of yeah. films that we've reviewed that are like coming of age films is is very high. It's just a, it's such a common. I mean, we could make the argument here that actually there's a, there are several cinematic formulas built into this film, which are like timeless, you know, uh, fear of failure, like coming of age, um, you know, finding first love, all of these. They're, they're, it's so common. And then yeah. the way to appreciate the film or depreciate it, depending on your point of view, sounds like you're on the depreciation side, would be to say like, okay, given that is the packaging interesting, right? Because in theory, there's only five films that exist, kind of. You know, there's like coming of age, there's like, you know, yeah. uh, chase, you know, crime movie, there's like I, action. Yeah. You know, the genres in film, we've talked about it a few times, are pretty solid. And so then it's just the packaging. And so the packaging here is is pretty dis- distinct, right? Like there's not another film that necessarily looks like this film or feels I, like this film. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Like I feel like this movie is very close to. Um, the Virgin Suicides, or what's Ooh. the one with the actor who goes in his own head? Uh, oh, like being John Malkovich. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, the same kind of weird office space. In in John Malkovich, there's an office space that's half the height of a normal floor. Yeah, so it's the, gag, well, it's things it's, like it's, that. Yeah, and, so it's and, established that a surreal reality, as presented in this film, with awkward yeah. characters, is kind of a trope. It's a thing. Yeah, and the, and the music, and then like. The sun hits the lens, and there's a little bit of flare, and, and with the uh, dancing, yeah, that yeah. was a, that's a particularly distinct scene. If for those who haven't seen the film, at one point, um, Rachel uh, Wood, Evan Rachel Wood, I can't say Old Dolio, but anyway, Old Dolio <laughs> uh, is like relieved to be able to, to dance for the first time, and she dances in front of 
some 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 uh, sliding glass doors, and the sun is shining through. So you get that silhouette with the sun breaking through her hair effect that is so common as like a indie aesthetic trope, like people dancing in front of. The, I don't know why, like, but you're absolutely but right. Like, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a also real that one of the things that's interesting to me is that the U.S. is is this tragic beauty that. It's it's a very photogenic country. I think mm-hmm. uh, growing up in in Western Europe, where every picture you take is gray, there's no shadow on the floor because of the the clouds dilute the sunlight. Uh, it's kind of bleak, and so every shot you take, even if it's a horrible place in LA, it, it's photogenic. Well, that even might be that ball. might be the more interesting critique here, which is that I think Miranda July made this film like a series of still photos basically yeah you know? and a lot of it is it's like you could make the claim it's over art directed because she's trying to embed so much in every shot that there's almost no it's too careful you know like but the, there's not very much risk the thing i want to and why i'm i'm uh, thinking about the format of the podcast and how we continue is that I, i'm now complaining about this movie that this isn't right that isn't right why aren't they doing mm. and i never made a movie Mm-hmm. So and the funny story is the there's this. Um, so the announcement is you're going to make a movie. <laughs> no, no, but there's this music video agency called the Directors Bureau, and they had emailed me that they liked my work way back in the day. They liked my digital work, and Mike Mills had reached out that he liked my work, and I had an opening in LA at some point, and Mike Mills was across the street with Miranda July, and they came to my opening, and they were very nice. So it's it's kind of shitty for me to now dunk on this movie especially never having made a film and well, they have always uh, been, been nice to me. And they, yeah. I, I once made a music video for friends and Mike Mills was very enthusiastic about that too. I was, re- I was at a point where I was really interested in doing music videos, but I didn't pursue it. And I'm happy I went more the direction I went in, but mm-hmm. um, so at the same time, maybe what I'm getting at is that, the the entertainment machine now is so strong and so headed towards the Marvel universe and all the stuff that indie films are in a really hard place. That's interesting, yeah. And so for me to to dump on this movie is is very negative, but at the same time I can't get past it's not my thing, but at the same time I appreciate anyone making a movie that's even slightly unpredictable. Yeah, I mean similar history to you like early on I you know when I when I started making video art, I met Miranda July as well. Not, I, you know, I didn't, no one was a fan, she wasn't a fan of mine or anything like that, but definitely saw myself on a similar track. And something about Miranda July, our, our listeners might not know, is that she was really groomed into a filmmaker. She went through the Sundance residency program and she got a lot of coaching and support to produce her first film, Me, You, and Everyone We Know. And that ended up being a bit of an indie hit uh, which established her credibility as a filmmaker, but also really catapulted her contemporary art career. So it wasn't like... And, and was, Mike Mills was doing Thumbsucker at the same time. Yeah. Which was also about teenage uh, trauma and uh, the the stress of school and peer pressure and things like that. But, uh, you know, the, the point I'm trying to make is that I don't think Miranda July was necessarily like um, a default success. She, got, she was supported um, by like a scene and people that really wanted to see her succeed. Um, she's not, don't get me wrong. She's very yeah. talented, but like when I found the, her the, work, the, the type of video work she was making, it was, it, she was, she was by far like a standout artist, but there are yeah. other standout artists that have not become, you know, Hollywood. Yeah, but filmmakers. I, I, I don't mind the idea that someone is born into like, if you look at the history of art, there's tons of painters who were born into a guild. Their parents were artists, and their children were artists. And uh, just like you could be born into a family of baking or a family of blacksmiths, yeah. And that maybe that's a good path. Like you grow up with it, you have a head start. You really you know horses, you know their feet, you know how to make the the horse's shoe. And it, why not? Like why not grow up in an environment that helps you? What's well, wrong I, with that? No, yeah. So, I'm, but I'm, my point is simply that, like, it might seem like, um, you like Sofia Coppola growing up in a movie family. Like, yeah, I just don't think that? the Miranda July necessarily grew up in a specific family so much as in a scene that was supportive, and then yeah. she was groomed into the person she is, and obviously she had a lot of agency in that as well. And she's um, a talented individual. I think ultimately, though, the aesthetic that annoys you is one that is 
an early 2000s aesthetic repackaged over and over again is still being packaged. Well, you it's, might, it's, might, it's, you might it's feel the, a little bit the out mentality, of touch it. it's the exploration of self-pity, it seems. But I think like you might be expressing the similar frustration to those, you know, we've talked about Wes Anderson on the podcast as well. Like there's a certain peak for an aesthetic and a like a message, and this is going to happen or already has happened in our own careers, but like, you know, you ride that wave and it's not like, you know, Miranda July, I think you have to recognize she's achieved a certain pinnacle of success with her aesthetic and that it is what it is now. I don't know if we're going to come back to her 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And expect to see something different. This well, you is... don't expect Werner Herzog to make a rom-com. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think of it as like, you know, she's going to put out a film every 10 years or so that re-emphasizes, nope, this was a point in time and a very particular way of thinking. And this existed and, it, and it's credible just because it represents a scene or a period of time in a group of people that thought a certain way. And of course, that doesn't make sense, you know, if but, you started so... today, but it makes sense if you started 20 years ago. I'm not sure. I, I'm not so familiar with. Uh, I've seen her previous movie, but I haven't seen her sculptures or installations. Well, let me describe like one of my favorite pieces she ever did for the Whitney Biennial. I think like ten or fifteen years ago, it was at the old Whitney. You know, the the good one. <laughs> Just kidding, but like the, Whit- the Breuer Building. Yeah, it's such yeah. A, such a like dark, like foreboding building. Brutalist. Yeah, it's a brutalist building. Almost no windows. Just like it looks like a bunker in like Nazi Germany. So you walk into the building. The, it's ironic that the Whitney Biennial happens at this building because the Whitney Biennial is about new and fresh and like youth exploding, you know, through contemporary art. And you don't even get to that level of elation in this building until you get to the top floor. Like the top floor of the old Whitney Biennial was the only floor with like ceilings above 10 feet kind of thing. And all the, you know, like that, when you got to that point in the Biennial, it was always like, oh my God, the, you know, the top floor is so exciting. So what Miranda July did is she took over the elevator of the Whitney Biennial, and when you pressed up on the elevator to go up, she made sounds with her own voice of like, like a rising voice. Mm -hmm. And it was just a silly little gesture um, that broke through the pretense of the biennial and the feeling of elation. And it's such a simple gesture. Honestly, I love that work because it was both vulnerable and I mean, but you could accuse it of being overcute, but in the elevator, it just made sense, right? Because the artifice yeah, of the elevator is so It's funny because it's a it, sound art is so good for breaking the seriousness of the art space. Mm-hmm. I, I, like you can have a Looney Tunes sound effects in a in a room, and it will completely change. Even if you're looking at a Joseph Boy sculpture, and then you put some fart sounds over it, <laughs> and it changes. I think, um, but that playfulness, I think, is like inherent in her sculptures a lot of like her most successful sculpture series is one where there's little sculptures where you kind of put your body into the sculpture you put your finger through a hole and there's like stuff she's written like this isn't the first hole i'll put my finger through and it's not the last um and so she has these kind of this kind of comedic sense and this kajillionaire is supposed to be a comedy we didn't even say that at the outset but it's she usually sets up the premise of like vulnerability as comedy and I think maybe one of the, you know, the tropes in this film that's not working is that it's just not very funny. You know, at times it it feels a little stale. It doesn't feel fresh or free. Yeah, um, I, I didn't mind that so much. But one of the things to me that's really interesting is uh, poverty is quite uncomfortable on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the, the director of Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley, talked about that American films or mainstream films are very uncomfortable with poverty, and the only way they can deal with it is in fantasy or sci-fi. So mm. I don't know if you saw, for example, Jupiter Ascending, and they just have this whole planet full of people that they use as a resource. Or if you think of Lord of the Rings, and you have all these different groups of people, and one is an oppressor, and one is elitist, and one is a group of uh, poor people, and somehow that's okay if it's trolls and, and <laughs> right, right, spaceships. Right. But... Just shooting someone who's not that pretty in a in a small apartment where you see the AC unit in the wall, it's it's very uncomfortable or uncommon in American cinema, in mainstream films. And, but the, the yeah. counter-argument here is that so she is touching upon poverty. So you have the people sleeping in an office space with the bubbles flowing through the wall. Yep. But at the same time, they're really pretty and they're very charismatic and it... it 
So it's like um, pantomime. Like it's almost like a form of like white face or something like that. I don't know what term to use, but like it's acting poor without actually being poor. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all fake in the end. Like even the, I think it's Strozek or Wojciech. I think Strozek, the, the Werner Herzog film about these Germans that move to the U.S. for for the American dream and then still get exploited. And mm-hmm. it's actually people with mental problems as the actors. And no, I see what you're saying. I mean, so yeah. I actually but, had but a even group then of friends it's fake. Li- like, yeah, I had a group of, There's nothing real about it. A yeah. group of friends of mine lived in an office space similar to the one in the film. So good litmus test, like, did I find that offensive as like... You know, because it's not unusual for artists to take over unconventional spaces yeah. and live in them. Yeah. Um, and did I find it? I didn't. I didn't personally find it offensive. I was like, no, it, hey, I my, don't know if offensive yeah. is the word, but it it is the thing. Like maybe it feels like it didn't go all the way. So you're mm-hmm. like, okay, these guys are down and out in their luck, but they're actually. He's the dad from Step Brothers. He's a very famous actor. Yeah. And she's yeah. from Westworld and. Um, but and we should it, also it, say that normally Miranda July acts in her own films. So she's performed in her other films, but she doesn't. Perf- yeah. This is the first film where she didn't play the lead. And that could also factor in. Because I think if the artist put in, in her video art, she was always the hero. She was always the, you know, the, the face in, in the performance. But I, yeah. um, I, think, it's, I, I think it's interesting to compare with the uh, Uncut Gems because Adam Sandler is just known as a goofy uh, mainstream movie guy who's just mm-hmm. family friendly comedy almost slapstick and then they put him in this surprising role and somehow uh, I don't know I, I went along with it you're not during the movie you're like oh this guy is a comedy guy this doesn't make sense yeah like you really the movie was actually stressful it wasn't like about stress it was actually stressful and this movie didn't feel like in the same way that it was exploring people on the fringes of society who reject uh, consumers. No, no, I think I'm getting your good point. Your good point is, is uh, to a certain extent, let's take this kind of pathetic, like, indie style, but it doesn't make sense when you apply, like, major Hollywood actors to it. Like, if, if suddenly Nicole Kidman showed up, in a scene, you'd be like, "What? Is he? Like this? Is, it's it feels off. Um, doesn't feel indie anymore. It feels like um, something else." Yeah, the the indie aesthetic just doesn't work with you know glossy Hollywood actors. Is kind of the point. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it feels like uh, if someone doesn't has an idea and doesn't run with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, it's it's easy for me to stand on the sideline and say like, "Oh, you should have done this or that." But the thing is, like, everything starts out indie and then eventually transcends or hops into the not everything, but a lot of things yeah. eventually kind of hops yeah. into the mainstream. Um, and so this that's I, the dream. Yeah, my my point is simply that that happened actually, you know, back ten years ago, and it just when you see it again ten years later, you're you're like reminded of that but there's you know it's probably much more mainstream than even miranda july knows now i think the aesthetic is actually you know it's in commercials you know it's yeah uh, as you said earlier music videos are is where it started and then it you know became mainstream cinema and and well, then it's, you know, it's you have funny to like i spent i spent yeah. quite a bit of time in la and then you meet people who work on movie sets or work with actors and etc and i remember really liking gummo the movie by harmony kareen which is also this group of people. You know. mm-hmm. so they probably all work with the same, you know, they run into each other and they work with the same team. And it's so like, Harmony Crane's a great example. Though he explores, yeah, but, you know, some, some but then stuff. seeing Gummo at the time, I was like, oh, this is so raw. And they have all these crazy people in the movie and it feels like they're non-actors. And then I was in LA with a friend and it's like, oh, that's just a bunch of pro skateboarders acting like they're white trash, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And then when you see it again, five or 10 years later, you're like, oh yeah, that is, a very capable, savvy person playing someone who is uh, on the fringes of the world, but they're actually not. So you're basically like, it's a Zoolander kind of moment where it's like derelict, you know, well, it's like the high yeah, fashion. And, and, th- and that's why I enjoy Zoolander. It's like, okay, they're not models and models are funny and they're comedians. So they're making fun of models and it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not for a moment. You're like, ah, Ben Stiller is not beautiful enough to be a model. I don't believe this movie. <laughs> Well, given it's a comedy, I think it's a fair criticism or critique, which is that, you know, it's not even it's not self-aware enough to make fun of itself. 
Um, and that might be as opposed to Step Brothers. Yeah, the comedy it's one it explores of my is films of the last few years. <laughs> okay, well that makes sense. I don't mind yeah. Step Brothers either. Um, we haven't reviewed any Will Ferrell films, but I feel like if we did, I'd roast Will Ferrell a little bit for having done the same thing that you're criticizing to a certain extent. Miranda July, you, you know, think which is like, so? He's too beautiful to be a comedian. That's your critique no, no. It would be a, it's slightly different, which is that Will yeah. Ferrell established like a style of comedy. Maybe it's not your critique at all, but like. He has not diverged from that comedy at all. He is no. That's <laughs> is like this is true to himself. My my critique of this film is not that uh, it it's the same thing as before. That's so you wouldn't have problem. liked Miranda July. Like you didn't like her earlier films either. Basically, no. And and I don't like David Foster Wallace either. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like, oh man, I'm so sad. My dad is really wealthy, and he gave me everything I wanted, and I'm still sad. Why am I so sad? And and, and <laughs> And 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 America gives me everything, but the people on TV are even more beautiful than I am. So I'm sad, and it, it's yeah. okay. Well, the counter argument that I'll make is simply that I think for for quite a few folks that enjoy Miranda July's work, it's actually hopeful. It's the opposite. Um, and if you're feeling like I think her main thesis generally is like if you're feeling vulnerable or you feel like um, you know like misunderstood, that that's okay. That like there's kind of there's there's a certain like hopefulness in being different and yeah. like through your difference yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can rise but um and and that's something that resonated with me in her early works uh that is you know something it's probably just because i try and do it in my own way in my work um and wh- yeah when it works it can be really transcendent like in the elevator example which is such a small piece but i think in her shorts it makes a, it's a lot less heavy-handed like and this film could have probably been a short film when you look at it um, and as a short film, I think it's relatively successful. As a long film, like I said, it's a seven out of ten. It's like you'll watch it; it's not going to blow your mind. You'll kind of appreciate it as like a pause in your day. And um, some of the things, though, just kind of like hang with you, and I think are worth. Um, yeah, it's worth watching. I, for I've that been reason. a bit on a on a Jay Seinfeld uh, fascination more than usual the last mm-hmm. week or something. Like lots of YouTube's, and I got this book uh, where he. Uh, it's it's an anthology of all his jokes just written out. Uh, I know. I, I've been reading it as well, or I just started. Yeah. Is this anything? Is the it's title basically the just a transcription of every joke he's ever written, right? Yeah. yeah it's amazing. I, I don't know. I just, you know. But uh, one of the things he was saying in an interview, the problem with modern comedy films is that there is a redemption of a character. So if you if you look back at the Seinfeld sitcom, they're really mean and things mm-hmm. go bad, and people might even die, and the next episode, they're back. Yeah. And he compared that to Looney Tunes, where you can have the Roadrunner and the, the Coyote. They're chasing each other, one of them dies, and the next episode, he's just back, nothing happened, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, and in modern comedy, a, a character can be mean, but in the end, there's redemption. And I guess in this movie, there's no redemption for the parents. They end up being mean in the end, but they're kind of fair. They gave her her 525. Yeah, that's a great example of. Oh, yeah, sure. They, I guess so. But they leave her behind, right? Like, um, the parents don't ever change. The whole point of the film yeah. is that you know you, your parents. But they're kind of change. also saying goodbye in a fair way. They're like, okay, you should you should go out on your own. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. And they do it in their way, which is by scamming her. Um. Yeah, but maybe this. <laughs> but what, what I'm trying to get at is that the humor that alert, I'm interested in. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't give the, a spoiler. The humor, what I like when things are funny is that there's something mean. Like the, if you see Zoolander, it's not that at the end of Zoolander, the Will Ferrell bitchy fashion guy all of a sudden becomes nice. Sure. I mean, the characters are set up. And I, I mean, I think those the plots usually resolve themselves in, in like a way that's packaged. I like your Seinfeld example because the series never really, even the last episode never really, it never really ended. It kind of just hangs. People yeah. didn't even necessarily believe it was over. It's not like wrapped up in a bow, um, and the characters yeah. are all pretty bad. and And even the writing in some places is is racist or like misogynist, and you you just accept it because the characters are. I, I don't know. I don't know if you have to accept it, but then again, you don't have to watch it. And it's similar to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I often uh, think of Mitch Hedberg, uh, the comedian, and his. His humor is completely unoffensive. It, there's nothing, he doesn't hurt anyone with his jokes. But mm-hmm. he's such a tragic character himself, and he died of a heroin overdose. So 
it it does have a realness to it. it. To give you an example of his jokes, it's like rice is great if you're really hungry and you want two thousand of something. Yeah, like, like that's the type of joke he makes. Or yeah. an escalator can never break; it just becomes stairs when it's broken. And I'm 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 saying it very dryly, so it's not even that funny, but. It, there's sure something the about him. <laughs> I'm sure there's something about him being on stage with extreme anxiety, not looking the audience in the eye, uh, and maybe being high at the same time. And it really feels like a, a stoner saying it. And all that context gives it a, something else than if it was a completely together, well put together. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Again, the that same comes way, back to the like, same way that Seinfeld seems dry. Like, oh, it's observational humor. What's wrong with the sink? Yeah. Why does water go down in the sink? But there's something mean about him too, which I think without that extra maybe that's what I'm what I'm attracted to in, in comedy, that if there's nothing wrong with it, it's boring. And and it feels that this movie it's uh, in the end it's a person trying to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean my final kind of point we gotta transition out of this, I think, eventually, because I think we're we're kinda going in loops here, but is just the like yeah. Um, the film ultimately is Miranda. You have to think of Miranda July, and so even as I was watching some interviews and stuff just before recording today, I realized that people were not treating her as a director in the interviews. They were treating her as like someone who sometimes directs, but it was an artist, and they were almost like treating her like a child in the interviews. Like, but they were actually fawning over her as like a genius. Um, but if you, as an artist, maybe you've experienced this, but like sometimes people put you in this little box of genius, but a genius that only a few people are allowed to understand and that does things in a unique way. And therefore yeah. we're not going to judge you because we don't want to, we, we don't want to destroy this special thing in the universe. Um, no, any, no, no. okay. You don't feel that way, but I think a lot of art gets put in this box of, we don't evaluate art against other yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. forms. We a have, lot of people feel like they are not allowed to have an opinion on art. Yeah. They do have an opinion on movies, which is part of why I wanted to do this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and so it makes it accessible to talk about issues. And this goes back to that I am, I do feel close to this style of filmmaking somehow. It is part of the time I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mike Mills talks about it, that he is a graphic artist and a director and an animator and uh, all kinds of stuff. He, he's, he's, he, he started out art directing the Beastie Boys' uh, paper magazine at the time and then did music videos. And so he kind of all disciplines. He, he yeah. directed uh, Levi's commercials, uh, record covers. Uh, he directed a film and art installations and video installations, everything. And he noticed that most things, people are quite careful stating their opinion. So if he would make a record cover, they're like, yeah, it's good. And, and they won't be so brutal. But once he made a movie, people are like, why did the character die? I didn't, I didn't like that guy. And what, what about this? And, and there's something <laughs> so brutal that art is of the people, for the people. Everyone is allowed to have an opinion. You could be completely frank. So there's yeah. something must be but, must be uh, brutal making a film. I, like I mentioned, this conversation I had just before this podcast. But it, the 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 point for me is just like if you're looking at an artist and a f- and making films, usually as an artist you're you're dealing in briefer m- moments like commercial time slots or music video time slots. In a film, there's this expectation of a narrative of characters and of resolution that. It doesn't make sense as an artist to me at all. Almost like as an artist, I deal. When you think in, in more in terms of of images and, well, and yeah, moments. because I deal in moments exactly. I deal in internal narrative, like the in narrative of the audience is going to build inside themselves. Right, I'm going to ask questions, and then they're going to fill in the blanks with their own narrative. In, in filmmaking, there's got to be this ridiculous exposition, right? Where it's like you explain to me what this is supposed to be about. Now that that's not and true. It's at also all films, an es- it's a film also serves the purpose of escapism. So you really want to go into a dream world for an hour and a half, and you don't during the dream world you don't want to wake up. <laughs> I just realized, like, 
sorry. The, the, speaking of Dreamworld waking up, Soda is like a, like a third <laughs> podcaster in this episode. Yeah, I've heard her like it's, scampering It's raining around. today and she's really bored. She wants to go out, but she hates the rain. Yeah. She's playing with toys now. Yeah, Everyone, yeah. our third host is Soda. Um, but you're breaking the fourth wall. Uh, the third <laughs> wall, yeah. Yeah. No, but I think that that for me is why I think I'm probably willing to accept Kajillionaire as a mediocre film, but a pretty good sculpture, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, though, like Miranda July's work in film is not as not nearly as good as her video art. And I do encourage our audience to go out back and check out some of her early works in video and then some of her sculpture and mixed media and installation work, if you can experience it is really like te- they're like 10 second diversions but they're re- like they- she packs so much it's like a bouillon cube so much flavor into a little tight package mm. when mm. she's asked to expand upon it in a two hour film that's why I feel like this could have been a 10 minute video it's just it, she's so good at concentrating that yeah. the exp- the expanded view of it is like not more interesting it's like okay I got it in the first 10 minutes and like you said the but trailer it, it, is actually yeah. a great video but it, what's interesting is that uh, if given the opportunity, no one would turn down making a movie. It's such a triumph. So uh, maybe that's part of being in her circle of friends that the it's opportunity came. Yeah. yeah, but it's like they're hanging out. There's a producer and he's like, movies don't have any flavor anymore. Miranda, we love your installations. I really think it could be a movie. And then maybe the back of her head, she's like, I think my sculptures would be better than movies, and I don't know if I want to stretch it out over an hour and a half, but well, how can no, I say no to like this opportunity? In her other work, she's done some really interesting things where she blends like her movies or shorts with like apps that are available in the app store and like, yeah, you know, yeah. with albums. And so she, she is emblematic of a type of artist that emerged over the last few decades where you're, they're not just a single about a single media, right? Like, so, you know, mixed media or I don't even know, you know, I'm called a new media artist or whatever, like, and I say so satirically, but at the same time, like, art has evolved to this point where you're kind of, you've got multiple streams and, you know, you to survive, you're also going to have to make a movie and come out with an album and where's your book and, you know, where's your podcast? Maybe this is a segue out of talking about this film and into the future of this podcast, but, um, you know, thinking about how one might express oneself through yeah. all of the Well, I definitely available. believe in trying everything. Yeah. I, I think uh, Salvador Dali is always a good example where he was just a crazy guy. He's a wild <laughs> and crazy guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, Steve Martin is another example. He tried a lot of different formats. Yeah, Steve but, Martin's uh, a great example. Yeah, but Dali is known as a painter, but it's actually his other things that are interesting to me. The, he made a telephone and he made... Um, he made fashion and he made films and he made performances and writing and all those things are much more uh, they're, mu- they're much clearer representations yeah. of his persona but to double back on your stand-up comedy thing right like seeing but maybe 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 to compare it like for artists the, the, the painting is the ultimate proof of being an artist and the, the clearest proof so he's Damn known it. as a painter but uh, yeah. I've, I've never had a successful painting but no i think you're right like there's some in there's some like there's some point of aesthetic perfection that you have to achieve within your medium of choice and then after that you're given permission to try adjacent um, styles and mediums yeah Yeah. Um, anyway that brings us to like the future of this podcast (laughs) and uh, yeah so you know again I, i thought maybe it's time to change it up again yeah so Raphael is like this CEO of this podcast, and um, and I am also the what am I? I'm the um, chief operating officer. No, I'm uh, I don't know. I'm the guy that that talks <laughs> as well. Or you're the Jeremy, and I'm the Raphael. Yeah, you're the Jeremy. Yeah. Anyway, but you do make a lot of the creative direction decisions, and I always go along with them because um, you're usually right. And two, I think like. I'm really up for anything. Like, I'm really interested in the conversation, okay. the ritual. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because it, it, it's the same. I made music with a friend, uh, Luke Baumann, and whatever I suggested, he was always fine with it. And uh, it, it, there was never any resistance. It, it's nice to collaborate with someone uh, 
I don't know, but I don't know if you suggested things the other way around where I was like, no, 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 no. The way it works when I suggest things, I kind of suggest them to you and then you say no. And then over time it sinks in with you. Okay. And then like six months later we revisit and you're like, you know what? I've been thinking about this. And then (laughs) then it's your idea. (laughs) So you make it sound like, yeah. (laughs) But I have a lot of relationships like that. And I don't mind. Honestly, I think collaboration, too many people think it should be like an even kind of trade. And I don't think that that's actually how it works. Um, Because you learn a lot from going along and you learn a lot from leading they're both yeah uh, but it, to me it's it's uh, i was thinking about it we both do art in different mediums mm-hmm. and it's and when you're by yourself it's it's not that bad when you say okay i want to focus on drawing for three weeks and then i'll get back to moving image sure and oh i'm a bit tired of websites right now i'll, I'll come back in the spring well also like we feel like but we when finished, you collaborate it yeah. sounds very dramatic it's like I'm sick of this. (laughs) Well, we finished this podcast like at episode 100, which was like in 2018 or 2019, right? So then we paused and we brought back the movie reviews because we wanted just to hang out. And we also thought the pandemic, you know, movie reviews would be like a great way for people to spend some time. Yeah, like you're doubling the time you get to spend with the podcast. You can watch the film and then listen to us. And it's like a whole package deal. Obviously, that's a lot you know, for people, uh, I've really just enjoyed it because it's a ritual for me. Like I watch the film on a Friday, yeah. we record on a yeah. Sunday. And also we've talked about a lot of issues that we might've talked about anyway, but um, we needed an excuse for. So um, I'm happy that we've done it this way, but it, it does feel like it's time for a change. And we've, we've talked yeah. a lot about uh, filmmakers that are artists, but I think there's a lot that we're leaving out of the conversation. Like, you yeah. and I both have a passion for technology that we haven't discussed. I love business. It's really hard for me to... I've, we talked a little bit about cinema business yeah, models. Yeah. But Well, I, I think uh, I was suggesting that we could do a sort of ask me anything format where we ask our listeners to ask questions. And I, I suggested that to you and you you thought that was interesting to work more from a community standpoint. Yeah, I think but when this podcast is best... I, I like thought about have, it yeah. again, and is that too much ego? Like, we are so interesting that we just want our audience to ask us questions all the time because we are such interesting people. Oh, no. I thought I didn't think that was the spirit of it. So your idea like, was... Yeah, like, this like, is a five-year interview because I have so much to say. Yeah, no. Well, I think the best way to think about this is, like, we, say we only had 10 listeners, and yeah. um, those 10 people, you know are always on the listening side and they're never on the, the there's no opportunity yeah. for them to like interject. We're, I think a conversation is better when there's more conversation and yeah. less, less talk at and a little bit more interaction. Well, so I think that's why a lot of podcasts have a, a sideshow host, like uh, what's the most famous radio guy with the curly hair? Uh, I always forget his name. Radio. He always oh, has a sidekick. Howard Stern. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think like there has of, to be someone. The there's always just someone in the room with him. He, like Joe Rogan replaced Howard Stern, right? Like, or yeah, but even Joe Rogan, like, he's always talking to someone. It's not just him on the mic on his own. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, the interview format is like the most popular podcast format. Yeah, and the reason for that is also because it increases the reach of the podcast because the person who gets interviewed shares it with their followers. Yeah, yeah co-branding, yeah. blah blah blah. Anyway. I, I, we're not suggesting but, that. So right? the, 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 I had two ideas for formats, and one is our question. Our audience can send us questions, preferably recorded in audio, so we can include it in the episode. So whatever people want to ask, like, Raphael, why is the sky blue? And then you would answer, Yeah. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's because something we wouldn't answer. We wouldn't bring. Ex- would we bring experts to the table? What would we? Or I would don't we know. just go off? But the but. But the other thought I had is because you know everything about personal finance for creatives. I know a little bit. Yeah. Christina's alarm is going. I think she's out. <laughs> no, that's soda's alarm. <laughs> yeah, it's her lunchtime. <laughs> I thought the other one would be just practical tips from us. It's really how-tos, like episodes. Really detailed, like, this is how you do this. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to, like, the way I thought about it when you suggested it was, like, I would do a little bit of research, which I kind of do anyway when we watch a film. Um, and what we would do is we'd compare notes. And then the thing that I might do that would be a little bit more than what we've done in the past is, like, if I knew an expert, which I, and I know a lot of people, and so do you, I might ask them 
for some of what they know uh, and bring that in. Um, just, you know, because I can. Like, it, it feels like there's this resource that I have that I don't, you know, I've, I've started organizing panels and stuff for a few other uh, places, and I'm not suggesting we turn this into a panel, actually. I think it would still just be us talking, but I might say, like, hey, I was talking to my friend, you know, Fred, who runs, um, you know, design at Facebook, and this is what his perspective on this yeah. was. Um, yeah. Just because I, you know, it feels I feel a little guilty that like. Of but the so maybe I have. maybe what we're trying to say is that we're shifting more from opinion to information. Well, it would still be opinion based because I think a lot of the topics that uh, well we don't know what topics actually that's the other no. thing is like we want the question to be anything like, and we're gonna bring an artist perspective to that question, um, and the fact is you and I both think outside we don't think of art in a narrow way we might think of it as an expanded form and i think through thinking through art and creativity and through these questions in that expanded way we can bring forward you know new questions and answers that you know maybe um surprise and delight that would be my that's the ideal scenario right one can ask me if you ask me about chairs i'm going to talk about kosuth i'm not going to and i'm going to talk about the bauhaus i'm going to talk about like the evolution of the chair and manufacturing and that great facebook ad do you remember that one with the chair sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but i don't know we could do a whole podcast on yeah. that so like yeah. you know why do why are chairs you know why are chairs that the question whatever why are chairs racist <laughs> why are chairs yeah. racist sure yeah and yeah. through that creative exercise because the whole podcast premise that's not going to change is the improvisational nature of it, even though I just said I might resource some some of what I know. Um, most of the time, I think we're, you know, we'll still get to a good point uh, through discussion, um, which is yeah. the whole point, right? Like it's One the whole hopes. point of the podcast is like to find our way, not because we know, but because we alone, we, it's because together we, we get somewhere more interesting than we could alone. Yeah. So, um, so we have a, a, what do you call to action? The call to action, which no one, if anyone has listened to this point. If like, anyone has gotten to the end of this Yeah, we'll episode. have to republish, you know, a little section. Uh, maybe we do like a five-minute view of this. But like the call to action is send us your question in recorded form. So record yourself asking the question. You can and, simply use your voice memo uh, on your phone and just record it and email it to us. And uh, I hotly anticipate I, some rhetorical questions, which is... Maybe the, we should have an email address uh, because that's kind of tricky... Oh yeah, we always it's, make people just find. Well, it. it's Neil Raphael at Gmail and I'm Jeremy. Yeah, I'm Jeremy at jeremybailey.net. You can do that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could put it in the show notes, but then we get lots of spam. Sure, that's true. I get a lot of spam yeah. anyway. But um, yeah, if you send us an, a note via those channels, and they're linked on goodpointpodcast.com, and I we'll think. tweet it, and people could send us. Uh, yeah, well, it doesn't have to be too easy. I don't know. Yeah, I'll be curious. You can find us. There's a way. First one in, uh, we'll get the first episode. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, We get the coolest question, not the first question. (laughs) Oh, no. There's value judgment on all the questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, But similarly, in our previous uh, formats of the podcast, we invited users to send in their field recordings, things that they heard in the environment around them. What I'm hoping from this is we, you know, by hearing from you, we're also hearing some of your context. And so why the question is important to you might be something you could add to make it cooler. Um, And I think statements, Raphael, what do you think about that? Like people are likely to not just ask questions, but state opinions. There is a good thing about selecting questions because I don't know if you've ever been to an art panel talk and there's a microphone and then the person asking the question actually wants to do the lecture. So they just talk for 15 minutes and there's a question somewhere in there. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's the most common uh, thing. And, yeah. and then at the end of this person talking, you're like, I'm sorry, uh, what was the question? <laughs> so does that, is that a stipulation or a rule? Like the question needs to fit? No, I, I, I'm just saying that the pre-recording, the benefit of that is that we can leave out some parts where it's uh, unclear what the question is. Oh, okay. Is. Yeah, because I was asking for some context. Um, and then you're saying, yeah, the, the part that eventually matters is the question. But I do think the context matters for us. To yeah, hear yeah, yeah. why it's important to you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's right. the experiment. That's the other thing to put out there is we're going to try this out, just like we tried movie reviews. Yeah. Some people like the movie reviews. I'm certain a bunch of people were like, "What the hell are they doing?" Our, the point for us <laughs> is like we ended the podcast, and now the podcast simply exists as a platform for experimentation. So we just ended yeah. another experiment, and it's an reviews. audio platform. Yeah. yeah. And so here's the next one. And um, 
for us, uh, in, it still is about community, I think, but it's the biggest, you know, the most important community, Raphael and it's I. It's all about the money. Well, it's about you and I. So our friendship It's all about pers- the zero dollars. <laughs> yeah. And um, we'll keep it up, I guess. But thank you for yep. listening. And hopefully uh, the question thing makes sense to you. If it doesn't... We could do anti-ads. So the, the, there's a brief moment of interruption in this uh, episode because of Eero. So brought, that interruption brought to you by Eero failing. Oh, yeah. My uh, router failed halfway through this podcast. So if you saw it, yeah. thank like, you. Thank you, Eero. We're going to do anti ads. Yeah, definitely. Hey, that's a great idea. Product rants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not brought yeah. to you by fucking Eero. Well, yeah. If your first question is, what, what router should I buy? I can, um, I can give you Have some you noticed bad reviews. That I've bought different products that were advertised on podcasts. Like it sort mm-hmm. of seeped in. At some point, we're like, we need a new mattress. Yeah, let's try a Casper. Why not? Yeah, but they're everywhere, right? Yeah, and I just heard it on so many podcasts, and it turned out to be horrible. So this is also not brought to you by Casper, because it <laughs> also sucks. Oh, no. Okay, well, I'm I'm looking forward to your full review of... Oh, that's another idea, product. Just a product review podcast, but... Oh, yeah. If, no, I would love to do a, a product... You know how there's a lot of websites that recommend products, and we, we can uh, diss products or like say, don't get this. Trust me, you don't want this. <laughs> trust me, trust me that this. Uh, In a way, it might be more helpful. Instant coffee, like trust me, it tastes like trash. Yeah, <laughs> don't even try that. It'll just be for yeah. people starting out in life. It'll be like, or, age or like seventeen really, to twenty-one. <laughs> a really cool new restaurant that everybody's raving about. No, trust me, it's overpriced. Yeah, it's overrated. Yeah, yeah. just uh, stay home. <laughs> yeah. Make some oatmeal. Yeah. That's how we solve the pandemic. We just make the world outside seem horrible. Yeah. There you go. No more FOMO. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Raph. Well, looking forward right. to answering questions in our next episode. That's it for movie if, reviews. If there's people. no questions, there's no episode. That's, how that's right. Oh, that's how it goes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a trailer for this. Um, and yeah. then, you know, if there, a question could involve a movie, so I won't, we won't say no to movies, but um, like, what's your favorite movie might come up? Who knows? Um, yeah. But yeah, thanks for listening uh, all this time and looking forward to the next chapter. Yep. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye all.